welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we were meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the show. Today's a really interesting episode because, as you know, if you've listened to the very first episode of Enhanced Living, you know that I am an empath and have been for my entire life, which means that if you've ever lied to me, I've known it, whether I've told you or not. And going out in crowds is very difficult because as someone who is empathic or anyone who is super sensitive, we can really pick up on our environments. We can really feel what other people are feeling. Sometimes we have no idea how or why we're feeling what we're feeling. And it's not something that we are really aware of. It's just something that we've always had. So in other words, it's not something that started because of some crazy event in our life. It's something that we've just always, we've always been that way. And that's what life is like. So today's episode is all about someone who I connected with on a Zoom call, a group Zoom call. And it was one of those things where, ah, empath, empath, boom, we just connected. And that's kind of how these things go. So on today's episode, I would like to welcome, she is an empath coach. She's a certified intuitive life coach. She's a meditation and mindfulness teacher, just like I am. And she is a wonderful human being. Michelle Ogston, thank you so much for being here today with me. Wow, thank you, Adam. That was a beautiful intro. Yes, we are both empaths and did connect very rapidly. I mean, telepathically, which I think is yeah. very cool. And it's, it's true, right? It's a really interesting thing because you can sort of pick up on what other people are feeling slash thinking and so on and so forth. So for anyone who's not familiar with, let's say, what an empath coach does or an intuitive life coach does, can you just give us a little bit of a background on that and what you do exactly and why you chose to go in that direction? Okay. That's a very long answer. So I'm going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start with, you know, empaths, I think, which is very interesting is, and I didn't know this actually until I was older, which is empaths are born with hypersensitive neurons, which are your compassion neurons. And what that means is, as you know, it means you feel everything. So it's not just that we have empathy, which a lot of people have empathy empaths actually feel everything. Like you mentioned earlier that you can sense when someone's lying, you know, when something's off, there's, there's definitely a different feel in the air. We have certain senses that we can actually pick up on things differently than other people because of these hypersensitive neurons. And what led me to actually being an empath coach was sort of a series of events. I started my spiritual training when I was 16. I was raised both Catholic and Jewish. So I had lots of guilt on either side of my family about what I was doing and where I was going. And in the Catholic religion, when you're 16, you are confirmed, which means you denounce all other religions and you devote yourself to the Catholic religion. 
And I was very fortunate that I had a mother who was understood that that was not the path for me. I was really ridiculed in my Catholic studies and, you know, we went to church twice a week and, but it was not the place for me. And so I was lucky that my mom saw that. And I told her, I just, I don't want to do this. I didn't want to denounce the Jewish side of my family and it just wasn't resonating with me. And she took me to see this mystic. Her name was Betty Bethards. She ran the Inner Light Foundation and she led me on my first guided meditation, which completely changed my life. And this was the first time in my whole life that I actually resonated with a spiritual practice. Before it had always been very led with like the have tos and you cannot do these things. And this was the first time that it actually opened up my mind to the possibility of that we're all one. That it didn't matter if we called it God or Jesus or Allah or Buddha. It didn't matter what we called this higher power, that we all really were resonating with the same thing. And that my soul was like lit on fire. So my spiritual practice actually started before I knew it was an empath. I had no idea it was an empath until much later. And what ended up happening was as an empath, I started to make broken decisions because I was broken. I just was feeling left out. I felt very odd a lot of the time because I had this sort of psychic ability. I never really told many people, but I did use it kind of secretly for most of my life. And it wasn't until I was married to my former husband and I was very depressed. I was super depressed. I was trying things that I felt like should make me happy. I was working out. I was reading. I was going to the gym. I was in the parent group. I was volunteering. I was a coach at the high school. And I was just empty inside. And I was lucky enough that I was working from home and I came home one day and I was just sort of like sitting on the edge of my bed, just like, I mean, if anybody's ever been depressed, you know, this feeling, this sort of like darkness that it, there's a physical ache to it. It's mental. And I was just kind of sitting there and all of a sudden we got this mass text email from the school. And one of the women that, one of the women that were in our PTA group had dropped her kids off just like all of us in the morning. And she drove up to a very popular lookout here and she killed herself. And it was in this moment that just life, I call this the shift, that life sort of paused for me. And I, I just sat there and I thought, could this be me? Could I get to a certain point in my life where the depression would take over and that isolation would really allow me to make that decision. Because I think as parents, we all think, oh, I would never leave my kids. But she did. I mean, she chose this. And it was that moment that really, I picked up the phone. I started therapy. I started learning about being empathetic and what that meant, what it meant to be an empath. And what I realized was that all these decisions that were broken were really because I was trying to fill a void from my empath tendencies my whole life. So ended up making decisions. I left that marriage. Like I said, I started therapy and really learning about what it is to be an empath and became a certified life coach and started help people make decisions like I did, not necessarily leave your marriage, but more to say, what are the patterns that I'm making that are really not having my life head in the right direction where I could make these broken patterns and break those and start making better decisions knowing how to work with my empathic tendencies instead of just sort of like fighting against them all the time. So that is 
that's how I came here with you today. Wow. Okay. So there's, there's, there's so much to unpack (laughs) because, well, there is because, you know, that's the first time. So I didn't know what I was growing up. I've just, I just always picked up on things, felt like I didn't belong, felt like I was too sensitive, got made fun of for being too sensitive in the sense that like everything bothered me, would pick up on world events. Sometimes you wake up in a funk and things just don't feel right. And then you hear something on the news or whatever. And you're like, oh, uh, and it spirals you further. That's the first time I've heard about hypersensitive neurons. Can you please elaborate on that a little bit? Because it's literally the first time I've ever heard about it. And and it explains quite a bit, I think. You know what? I found it fascinating too. So if you're an empath, you probably know about Dr. Judith Orloff. She is like the empath guru. So if, if you are an empath listening, I always say start with her book, The Empath Survival Guide. She has an amazing guide. She is a psychiatrist that devoted her life and her whole practice to working with empaths. So she has studied us. She has groups for us. She, everything she writes is for empaths. And she was the first person who actually told me that. And it finally, like you just said, it's like this aha moment of like, there is actually a physical scientific reason for what's happening in my brain. And I think for so long, empaths, we always feel like something's wrong. And a lot of times, especially in childhood, dealing with trauma, because we are usually made fun of, we're told we're too sensitive. We think things and we don't know why we think them. So especially for a child growing up, like for me, example, I could feel spirits around me and I thought, I am completely crazy. What is wrong with me? And it wasn't until I started learning about that, that I realized, oh, that's what that is, that you can just pick up on energy very, very quickly. So that's exactly what's happening is there's these neurons in your brain that are just almost, I picture them like if you've ever been to an aquarium where they have those little, like, they look like pieces of brass and they stand up and they kind of move in the ocean, but they're actually like little worms. (laughs) I picture them like that. They're just like, standing up all the time and they're connecting with all this energy around us. And so that is why we feel everything. It's why we sense things before other people sense them. And it is everybody who says that they're an empath, but not not psychic. I'm like, Hmm, let's talk about that because you are most likely psychic, but there's all these different ways to be psychic. And I think a lot of times you just don't know those different ways. So that's sort of where that comes from, which sort of leads into narcissists because they have hypo mirror sensitive neurons. So they do not feel as much as we do, which is mm. an interesting topic as well that we could probably spend a whole other podcast talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, we definitely could. It's, it's really interesting because when you think of the perspective of hypersensitive neurons or just the fact that feeling everything, and I don't know, like I, I had issues growing up where Like I remember going to like a bar with friends and we would go out and I would just feel so uncomfortable and I would just be like, all right, I need a drink. I have to have a drink. I don't drink now. I don't drink at all. But I would literally drink until I didn't feel anything anymore so that I could fit in and be comfortable. And and, and I never really understood, like I did it, but didn't want to be doing it, if that makes any sense. And I I later came to realize that I, I feel like if you don't know what's going on with you and you haven't started meditating, you haven't started kind of figuring out what's going on in your life that's making you so hypersensitive to all these things, we tend to maybe turn to substances to numb what's going on so that it's not so overwhelming. Have you heard of that, dealt with that, seen that, et cetera? 
<laughs> et cetera. Actually, that's very interesting because so many people are surprised by that fact. And in fact, I made this quiz for people to find out if they are an empath or not. And one of the questions on there is, are you sensitive to substances, which is you know alcohol, weed, any sort of substance? Because typically what empaths do is they do exactly what you just said. To calm that feeling of being on all the time, you're just charged all the time, they numb themselves. So either two things happen. One, you can become an addict or you can't tolerate substances very well. So like for me, like I can't really drink. It either turns me on, it does the other thing, it almost turns me on too much. And then I'm like, oh, good Lord, like everything's coming in. So either one or two things happens. You're never kind of right in the middle. You either end up really using those things to mute everything. So like you said, you drink enough so that it really calms that feeling. And then you feel like you fit in, which is the number one thing empaths struggle with is fitting in. Do we fit in? We always feel so different than everybody else. And so it helps us feel like, oh yeah, we're hanging out with the boys or we're hanging out with our girls and we're doing this and we fit in. But in reality, I mean, we're not, which is why it's so important, I feel like, for empaths to really learn how to set boundaries and use tools so that they're not using substances to fit in. They're using themselves and just knowing like, this is what I need to do before I go and hang out with the people or I go to a crowd or spend time in places like the grocery store or whatnot. So you don't feel it's, so drained. It's so interesting because I remember when I was a teenager, I had a really rough childhood. Like things were not good. From the outside looking in, some people might have thought things were okay. But really, like by the time I was, I want to say 15, 16, anyone looking from the outside in is going, oh, those poor kids. But I literally forced myself to become able to smoke pot. Like it was one of those things where... I remember, I'll never forget the very first time I did, heart racing, and then before I knew it, I would throw up. And that would happen every single time because I would literally just get so crazy paranoid. And and eventually, I just kept doing it. I just kept, I, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest. I was 16, so what, you know. But, <laughs> and then eventually I was sort of okay, but I would still have these bouts of like just complete paranoia and just crazy where I would lose it. And I would eventually just have to go throw up, which... I, I I now look back on that and go, well, obviously you were so hypersensitive to begin with and, and you know, you're putting substances in your body. So it's just really interesting to hear you say that. I don't mind sharing things about my past because I think it's important for anyone who's listening right now, if you're if you're in that situation, I think just defining it and understanding where you stand in that position, it helps. As soon as you shine the light on it, right, the darkness goes away. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. You know, I do truly believe we heal through our stories and I feel like we heal through other stories as well. And I think when you can be very honest, there's so much healing in saying, yeah, these are the things that I did. Here's what I learned from them. Here's what was great about it. Here was what was not good. And it really does help because I feel like we all, I mean, whether you're an empath or not, we all feel so alone most of the time. And we're actually all more connected than we think we are. And I know for me, I was the same way. I started drinking at 14. I had a hard childhood as well. I started drinking at 14. And I didn't know anything about being an empath then. I was just like, oh, this is cool. This is an escape. I don't have to deal with what I'm feeling. This is awesome. And then I stopped, thank God. I sort of knew I was going down the wrong path. I was probably a very typical teenager. I partied, I drank, but then I did smoke weed for a long time. I was very, I was a total pothead for a long time. And it did, what I realized was that it was keeping me from being my authentic self. 
And I had to really pull back because for me, I did enjoy it. Like I didn't throw up. I was like, this is amazing. I loved it. But I had to get to a place where I was like, this isn't really allowing me to be me. It takes me out of the space of being me and it lets me connect in a different way, but that's not really who I am. So I don't smoke weed anymore and I don't drink anymore, but it is interesting how as empaths, you do sort of go down these certain channels to sort of deal with all these different things that you're feeling. And it really isn't until you understand that you go, oh, that's why I'm doing all of this. And that's like you said, then that's when the, once you see it, then you can't unsee it. Right. So it's like a blessing and a curse, right? You, now you see it and you're like, oh, okay. Now I've got to do something. I can't be ignorant anymore. I've got to actually like do something about what I'm doing with my life. A hundred percent. And that's a really good metaphor for actually all of life, because when you look at things, right. When it's like, oh, I, now I know. Mm-hmm. Of judging judging yourself and 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 then having that guilt feeling right which and again before we leave the topic of of cannabis altogether you know <laughs> obviously i'd like to recognize the fact that you know medicinally there are definitely uses for it the body has an endocannabinoid system you know there's a reason why it, that that's part of us and so if if you're currently using cannabis for medicinal purposes good for you if you're using it for recreational purposes good for you it doesn't matter like we're not judging that we're just saying that if it's impeding you from being who you are, maybe take a look at that. If you're if you're waking up and getting high first thing in the morning, there's an issue there. You got to take a look at right. It's it's <laughs> it's you know having a glass of wine at the end of the day is okay. It's it's not. We're specifically talking about abusing it and using too much of it. If you're waking up and having a drink in the morning, there's an issue. You should not be drinking booze first thing in the morning. It's just not productive. <laughs> so <laughs> you you mentioned guilt, and I I, I want to address this real quick because you have Catholic on one side and Jewish on the other, and oy vey is all I have to say because you know I grew up Jewish as as my listeners know. And at the age of, I think it was like 13, I had this existential crisis of like, wait a minute, there, this can't be all that there is. What, I'm supposed to just, you know, finish school, go get married, have, have a family, grow up, work a job, retire, then die? Like, what's the point of all of this? And I just had this crazy, like, why are we here? What's the, what's the point, right? And with that, I realized in Judaism, right, that being kind and being good to other people is all that matters. And I took that lesson from Yom Kippur, which is the holiest of Jewish holidays where you're supposed to fast and you're supposed to ask for forgiveness from your fellow man and from God. But in school, we learned that if you don't ask for forgiveness from your fellow man first, God doesn't forgive you. So I took that to mean that the most important thing is to be a good human being. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know what that was like growing up both Jewish and Catholic, having that insane amount of guilt, because good Lord, we all know that that's, that's how those two, the Jewish grandmother and a Catholic grandmother, really like we talked about this in, in the first time we spoke, like the difference between the two, like the Jewish grandmother, like the, sorry, the Catholic grandmother says, eat this or I'll, or I'll kill you. And the Jewish grandmother says, eat that or I'll kill myself. Maybe that's Italian. But the point is, you know, <laughs> the guilt is there constantly. So what was that like for you specifically as an empath? And how did that play out into where you are now and how you help people through similar situations? That's a very good question because it was really insane. I really never knew where to turn. And I think my parents had the best of intentions. My parents are divorced. So my mom was leading the Catholic route and my dad was leading the Jewish route. And I think, you know, for them, they really wanted to educate me on their religion and share that part of themselves with me. 
However, growing up, it's, I mean, religion is confusing in itself for a child, but then to have these two vastly different dynamics in religion, believing very differently, that it was very hard to know where to align myself. And so what I found was it was very confusing because although everyone spoke very highly about being kind and being, you know, wonderful to other people, I never saw that. So Mm. actions of nuns and priests, because I did live with my mother, I was raised very heavy Catholicly. So like I said, we attended church twice a week. I had religious studies once a week. I was never included. I was told I was going to hell a lot from nuns because my, my mom was, or my dad is Jewish and my parents were divorced. So I was always pulled aside and talked to about the devil and how, how wrong I was. And I was nine. And so I wasn't really even sure what that meant, but what I was grateful for. And even in that moment was that I felt like something was wrong. So empathically, I started to know that I don't think God would do this. Now, I want to make sure I say this to all your listeners. If you are Catholic and you are Jewish, I think that's beautiful. I have no sort of like hangups with organized religion. I think that if something works for you and you find solace in that, and that helps you be a better person and live a beautiful life, I am all for that. Just for my own personal story, it was not something that was resonating with me. And so I felt I cannot align myself with people who tell me that I'm going to hell. There's something wrong. Like there's just, there's something off with this story. And so luckily, like I said, my mom, you know, was able to sort of help me branch out because a lot of people in that situation would have said, no, you have to be Catholic and you have to choose a religion. So I was very lucky in that sense that I was able to sort of express how I was feeling to my mom without being the, you know, having the fear of being ridiculed and then being able to take action on it, I think was what saved me. I think any other thing for me probably would have not ended good, but what ended up happening was those patterns of the guilt ended up later in life really affecting me to where like, and this is something that codependent or not codependence, but empaths struggle with is being codependent. So we always put everybody's feelings before, which is a lot of what time what happens in religion as well. You, you tend to put others before yourself, which is good to a certain extent, especially if you're a parent, you kind of do that and you're married, you know, and we all kind of do that, I think in our lives, but where is the breaking point? I did not know. I had no clue because both sides of my growing up were like, you know, no, you take care of everybody else first. So it took me a very long time and some some really good coaching and some great therapy. I was able to really learn what one is a codependent and how do I fix that? And how do I manage it through and you're never cured. You know, I think that's one of the things too. People sometimes come to me and say, you know, how can you cure me from being an empath? (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's no cure to this. So we just have to use our tools and, you know, go from there. Yeah, it's interesting cure. I mean, it's it's not a sickness. It's not a disease. It's I mean, I personally I I think of it as a superpower and because I think that if you have that ability to feel, then you can choose to act from a more compassionate place. And mm-hmm. I think that more people should be able to feel. I think it's really interesting because as you were talking about the devil part of it, right? And I was like, "Oh, okay, well did your empathic thing?" And you literally answered my question as I was having the thought. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so cool because, you know, I'm like, that's the tuned in and, and tapped in and, you know, ready to go. So it was just, it was just really interesting because obviously you answered the question before I even asked it, but I wanted to touch on, well, there's a few things I wanted to touch on actually. So 
One, you were talking about how, and I agree with you on the whole organized religion situation where to me it doesn't work, but at the end of the day, organized religion at its core, all of it, they all say the same thing, which is basically love one another, right? It's Mm -hmm. every single religion. If you really study the text, if you really go back to the basics of that specific religion, you will find the exact same message. Mm-hmm. It's it's the people along the way who I suspect a lot of them are actually narcissists, but let's not get into that right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they, they're the ones who kind of bastardized it and twisted it into a more of a controlling mechanism as opposed to a, a method for self-realization. Paramahansa Yogananda, I don't know if you're familiar, he actually studied every major religion. He went down each path and was able to find self-realization through each one. Through each mm-hmm. one, he was able to do it by following the laws, rules, customs, rituals, etc. Because at the end of the day, the truth is one. The truth is one. Many are the ways, right? Mm-hmm. Which is another guru of ours that has said that, right? Which is that you can, it's like someone drives a Mercedes to work, I-95. I don't know why I'm talking about a Florida freeway when I live on the West Coast, but whatever. <laughs> I, I grew up going to Florida. So that's just the, why is that the first thing that came to me? I've been driving the one-on-one freeway for the last 20 years, but the point is, you could be in a Mercedes, you could be in a Honda, you could be in a Subaru. It doesn't matter what vehicle you're using to get to your destination. If you follow the directions, you're going to get to your destination, period. So mm-hmm. I liken religions, spirituality, all of that to just different vehicles. I mm-hmm. think that one of them or a few of them are more like rocket ships and a few of them are more like you're on a moped. It'll take you a little longer to get there, but you'll get there eventually, you know? So so with, with that being said, we had the same situation of actually having a guided meditation change our lives. And I want to know, what was the moment that you, because you had mentioned earlier that your mom took you to this guided meditation and that really woke you up. What was it about it that made you go, oh my God, like what made the light bulb go off? I think for me, it was, there was one, there's two things. One, there was a connection for me because being Catholic, you know, we pray a lot. We get on our knees, we pray a lot. We, and when you're in church, you pray. I mean, if I I've got to ask for forgiveness. I'm down on my knees. I'm, you know, I am praying, praying, praying. And so praying and meditation, it's really the same thing. And it's just done in a different way. However, when I was praying, I was always shamed. I was always like, I have to pray because I did something wrong or I I need forgiveness for this thing. Whereas guided meditation for me was all of a sudden it was like, I was in this one little bubble of like praying for forgiveness and it just like burst open and it was like trees and water and sky. And it was really taking in all of the elements. And again, I didn't know this at the time, but for me, you know, empaths resonate in water so much. And so I just felt completely connected and like, oh my, this is what God had intended for me was to be able to connect on this level with everything and everybody. And it felt so inclusive. And so for the first time in my life, I felt like I wasn't excluding anybody. So I wasn't excluding my Jewish family. I wasn't excluding Catholics. I was including everybody, you know, there was everybody in the room was from different religions and backgrounds and you know, I was 16 and I'm just sitting in this group of people where we are all doing the same thing for the same purpose. And it was the most beautiful experience I've, I've had because it was my first time. So that was amazing. And then from there, it just grew of, wow, this meditation allows me to let go of all of that. And that to me was 
life-changing. I feel like life so much, we're controlling things, you know, we have to, I mean, we live in an organized society. We have to sort of, we have to follow the rules and we have to do certain things, but being able to sort of let go for a little bit, even if it's just for a few minutes, good God, that's like the best feeling in the whole world. It really truly is. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing when you, when you open yourself up to realize that not only not only is, is cause you know, we talk a lot about guilt and we talk a lot about a lot of the religions talk about hell and what that actually is. And my personal definition of hell is really just not realizing that you're eternal. It's, it's hell is here right now when you're not in the moment. Sorry, it's not here right now, right here. There's nothing but heaven, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're in the present moment, everything is well, but when you're, when your mind is in the past or your mind is in the future, that's what hell is. When you're constantly worried about what was or what will be, you're not experiencing what life and what is, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's the truth about hell. Hell is when you don't realize that we're all connected, that we're all one, that it's, it's all one just like pulsating massive energy. That's all that exists, right? We just perceive what we perceive. So I just think it's, I think it's just so profound. I think everyone should have that, that guided meditation experience. I, I think that it's, it's so, so instrumental to just being able to live as a human being amongst each other, right? You were talking about broken decisions and, and how you only, you know, becoming an empath later in life. So for, for the people out there who are listening, who you've always kind of felt everything, right? And you don't know what that is. <laughs> I want to kind of zero in on the broken decisions. Because I, I, I personally feel that a lot of the broken decisions I made were in an attempt to really fit in. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where I guess I want to explore that, that idea of not fitting in and why that is for people who feel so much and who can relate to people so much because we know what you're feeling before you even do sometimes. Why is it that, that people who are so hypersensitive, and I don't like to use the word hypersensitive, but again, we have hypersensitive neurons, so why not? Why is it that empaths are, have such a hard time fitting in and feel like we don't? Well, because we start so early, because we're born with it, right? So from very early on, we are feeling things that other people do not. And any time, especially when you're young, you are not like the others, you feel like a freak. And, you know, and then you sort of get shunned for it. So growing up, we are taught by other peers that, oh, well, you're weird because, and then you fill in the blank, you're weird because you're too sensitive, or you're such a pain to be around because you ask too many questions. Or what ends up happening is, like I said, we usually experience some sort of trauma in our life because we don't know. I mean, we don't know going through life usually that we are empathetic or that we are empaths until later. And what happens is you're sort of programming your brain to think something is wrong with me because, and again, you fill in that blank of, well, I'm too sensitive. I'm weird. I feel things that other people don't. So something must be wrong with me. That's another one. Something's wrong with me because I I feel these things. And it isn't really until we understand, like you said, like there's a lot of people, what's called HSPs. They're highly sensitive people. And then there's also empaths. So usually empaths are also highly sensitive people, but highly sensitive people are not always empaths. Mm -hmm. And so you could even just be a highly sensitive person of, you know, you feel a lot of things and you're sensitive, but maybe you don't necessarily have like that psychic ability. You don't have the neurons that are like uncharged all the time here. 
waiting to pick something up. So I do think what ends up happening is because we're trying to fit in, I mean, everybody wants to fit in, especially as a child, you want to fit in, you want to hang out and like play handball and, you know, hopscotch and stuff. Like you want to do the cool stuff or Roblox now, right? Oh, I guess it wouldn't be, right? <laughs> it's not a hopscotch right now. It's Roblox, right? <laughs> so you want to have friends on Roblox, like you want to fit in and being sensitive all the time doesn't really fit in. And so you program yourself to think, oh, feeling, feeling a lot is bad. Like what I'm learning is that when I am sensitive or when I'm feeling things, I'm excluded. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. So we don't, we stuff our feelings or we don't talk about them. And then we start making these decisions. So we program our brain and our brain starts to get conditioned that this is what's happening. So I don't know if you've read the book by Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's called Breaking the Habits of Being Ourselves. Mm. And he talks about this, that our brain is wired to make the same. It wants to make us life easy. So once we tell it to do something, it goes, oh, I'm going to do that again. And so when we unlearn those patterns, our brain like is going, hey, hey, whoa, no, this isn't easy. We're not doing this. So we're going we're gonna to send signals to you to be like, hey, stop doing this. So breaking those patterns of saying, wait, no, being sensitive is okay. I'm going to set up these boundaries. I'm going to say no. I'm not going to go to a crowd. I'm not going to do these things. Your brain will actually try to stop you for a while. And so you have to really fight through that then to like create those better patterns that you've literally learned your whole life. I mean, it takes a while. I'm sure it took you a while to learn like, no, I'm I'm not going to say no. And I'm not going to worry that they're going to be mad at me for saying no or I'm going to talk about how I feel, which is very hard for an empath to talk about how we feel. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a first of all, you brought up a lot of interesting things right there. I love I love Dr. Dispenza. I have Becoming Supernatural on my bedstand. I I still it's a phenomenal book. I, I actually haven't read the one that you you referenced, but I'm I'm gonna now. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but at the end of the day, it's it's so interesting because, I, and I don't know if this is just an everybody thing, if or if this is an empath thing. And here here's the thing: what you just said was was really relevant to every single human being on the planet, which is that our brains are wired to do the easy thing. The more you the more you have a thought, you're creating neural pathways that that really just connect really easily in that direction and for that for that method. And so your brain's always going to take that that route. So anytime you're trying to change a behavior, change a pattern, change something in your life, it's going to require effort. It mm-hmm. takes 21 days, I believe, to form a habit. So you have to do it every single day for 21 days, and then it starts to become habitual, which the power of habit is so, so strong, and you can use it for good or for not so good. So <laughs> if you take smoking, for example, right, if you're smoking cigarettes, you become addicted, that becomes a habit. So there's a physical addiction, but then there's also the chemical addiction, I should say, and then there's the physical addiction, which is the habit. Breaking the habit means replacing the behavior as well as dealing with the chemical dependency. So there's two sides to breaking certain habits. With, with our thoughts, it's just, hey, all you got to do is break the mental pattern. But what you have to do is break the mental pattern. So it's not all you have to do. You have to be able to meditate so that you're, you know, you actually posted something this morning. Granted, this is not airing on this day. So <laughs> on the day that this is recorded, Michelle posted something in her empath support group, which I am a part of just because it's phenomenal. And so if you are empathic and you want to join it, 
please go find the empath support group on Facebook and join because it's it's all people who are in the same boat, so to speak. And post you put in today was yes about meditation about you, allowing it yeah. allow yes thank you. So it's it's about it's about when you meditate you help you don't allow your thoughts to control you. You're not controlling your thoughts. You can't control your thoughts, but you can allow them to not control you anymore. And that's what this is kind of all about. So anytime you're looking to make change, you have to put in the effort, but it's doable and it's possible. Yeah. Now it's good. No, no, please, please. I was going to say, it's very much like with self-love. People always ask me, how do you, how do you love yourself? You talk about self-love and mm-hmm. self-compassion. I mean, how do you do this? I mean, you make it sound so easy. I'm like, well, it's, well, good. I'm glad I'm making it sound easy. It actually takes work. And I relate it to, you know, you have a thought, right? And you're like, I want to lose weight. I'm going to lose weight. And you don't wake up the next morning and you're down 50 pounds, right? I mean, it takes, you know, you've got to put a plan in place. You've actually got to do the plan. You've got to fall off the path again, and then you get back on. And it takes all this, this time before you actually lose the weight that you want to lose. And it's the same thing for any pattern or self-love is you start by going, I'm going to do these few things. What are those few things that resonate for you? You know, I'll just say meditation since you and I both do meditation. I'm going to start meditating. You know, I know when I started, I was like, I don't have time to meditate. I have no time to meditate. I'm going to do what's the smallest amount I could do was three minutes. The smallest, I was like, okay, if I can't do three minutes, something's wrong. So I started with three minutes and I was like, oh my God, I have to do more than three minutes. This is amazing. So I start, you know, I did more than that. But I think, you know, a lot of times it's much simpler in the steps that we can take to actually get there. So you just start with one thing, right? We start with one thing to change that pattern in our brain and go, I'm going to do this one thing. And then, like you said, it takes 21 days or three weeks for the brain to start going, okay, fine. She's, she's got a new pattern. He's got a new pattern. We're going to see how this helps us. And then the brain starts to get on board with what you're doing. So if you can really be strong those first three weeks, You've got a good thing ahead of you. And then what happens, and I'm sure this happens with your clients too, is the goal for our clients is they're not going to be with us forever, right? Their goal is to go out on their own and live their lives and stuff. But, and we're not perfect either. We fall off the, you know, we fall off the path too. But what's really wonderful is that we have these tools that then help us get back up quicker. And I think that's really what we are trying to do when we work with people is saying, you know, your life, you're never not going to have a bad day again. You're never, you know, tragedy, that's all part of the human experience. We are part of being a human culture and an experiencing life. And part of life is suffering. If you know anything about Buddhism, then that is one of the first things is life is suffering. And you have to learn, like, how do I get through that? And so learning tools to be able to help you go through life, to be able to navigate easier Oh my goodness, that that's I think that's like the secret to life is it's not about being happy all the time and every single day. It's about saying, I'm gonna be happy and grateful for everything that I have now. And then on the days that I'm like not feeling it, I'm gonna have these tools. I'm have like this tool belt, right? I have this toolkit that I'm like, I'm gonna pull out meditation today and I'm gonna take the day off and go to the beach. I'm going to journal today. I'm going to do these other things. I'm gonna eat super healthy today. You have all these other tools that you pick out that then help you, you know, move forward on those days. That's it's it's so profound. It's so true because so many people think like, oh, you become enlightened. And then and I'm not saying that I am enlightened. I'm just saying that they think you get to this place where all of a sudden everything's amazing. And that's just not the case. You don't 
technically change what's what your external experience is. The external experiences are always happening. We can't control, like, for example, the, the election or whatever, <laughs> you know, you can't, con- you, you, I mean, yeah, you can vote. But other than that, I mean, there's no, and everyone should vote. But at the end of the day, you can't control what's going on outside of you. The only thing that changes as you cultivate your inner, your inner work is, is, is you, you control you. You control mm-hmm. your reaction to it or lack thereof for that matter. Because if you can yeah. not react and you can just act, that's how, how you change things for real. I want to ask you real quick, or I, w- I want to delve into one more topic before, before we get our, our enhanced living tip of the, of the episode and, and wrap up. But I want to ask you real quick, because you had talked about in your story about the depression, right? And how I, I feel like that's something that empaths struggle with, where we kind of like, it's sort of like a wave, right? We ride these waves. It's not a bipolar thing. It's just I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like it's very easy to slip into a depressed state when you feel everything because there's always a lot going on. And you had talked about the mom at the school who just randomly went and and killed herself. And so it's a a two-part question, really. One, you woke up that day feeling it before you Mm -hmm. knew anything. And so one, the first question is one, and I, I feel like I know the answer, but do you think you were tapped into what was actually happening in that moment where you knew already before you knew, number one, Number two, how do you mitigate the depression when it hits? Because I know for me personally, you know, and, and this, this hasn't happened recently, of course, but in my past, there were many times where I contemplated suicide. I never was serious about it, but I had looked at it and gone, what's the point? Like, what, like why am I even here? Like, what, what, what am I doing? What would it be like if I just wasn't anymore? And obviously I love myself and I'm, I'm proud of who I am and, and I'm, not, I'm not in danger in any way, shape or form. And I haven't thought about that uh, again, it's been years and I would never, ever do anything like that. So just for ev- anyone listening, don't don't fret. It's just stuff that I had worried about when things were at their darkest in my life when I was younger. But so I want to know, how do you mitigate the depression? Because I've found tools for myself that help. But I've, I find that sometimes even now, like you said, you know, just because we coach, just because we help others doesn't mean we don't go through things ourselves. And I do. I go through periods where I, I have like these negative stints where I, I have to really use every tool at my disposal to pull myself out. And so, A, do you think that that morning you picked up on what was going on with that mom at your school? And B, how do you handle the bouts of when things become overwhelming for you? Here's one of the things I actually think that's important about, you know, honestly, this is just a human thing is depression is a very slippery slope and you do get, you can get very caught up very easily. And so the honest answer to that question is no, I didn't. Because what happens when you become depressed is you, you aren't tuned in anymore. You're not, I wasn't tuned into who I was. I wasn't tuned into my abilities. I was checked out. I was on, I wasn't suicidal, but I was, I was pretty close. I had actually had thoughts like you, like, would my kids be better off? Would my kids be better off if, you know, I was thinking about that this morning, that morning, I, you know, would my kids be better off if I wasn't here? Maybe, maybe, maybe this, that would be better for them. And that scared me. That scared me. I had lost somebody to suicide 20 years or at that point, it was 15 years prior. So I am a huge mental health proponent mm-hmm. of, especially for men. I think men have such a harder time reaching out and talking about their feelings. That's why I think it's so great that you are speaking out and that you share your story with people because 
I know that men have a very hard time talking about how they feel and talk about feeling left out or like not like everybody else. My God, I mean, it definitely with the men that I work with, I mean, this is something that comes up quite a bit. And for me that day, I, I didn't know. And I think that scared me as well as I was having these moments of just sitting on the bed thinking like, oh God, would my kids be better off? Would, you know, what would happen? I knew because I had lost somebody very close to me to suicide. I knew that, that in that moment, then I got the text and I thought, God, if I don't get help, something, something is going to go wrong. And I think that is a tool in your toolkit is being self-aware enough to know that like, I need help and that that's okay. I think, you know, we're starting to make that shift right now in culture of like, it's okay to need help. I think, you know, 15 years ago, it was a little bit harder or 20 years ago, right? It was harder to say that. Now it's a little bit easier, just a little bit. But yes, that is one of my tools is I have a great therapist. And when I'm feeling, if I have a few days, you know, recently, I think I shared this with you in February, I was having, I was waking up every morning crying, like just crying for no reason. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I don't understand. My life is good. I'm remarried now. I have a wonderful husband. My kids are good. My daughter was graduating from college. I, you know, I have all these wonderful things. This was before COVID. I was going on vacation the next week. I could not figure out like what was going on and it kept happening. And I kept waking up thinking that my husband was going to leave me. I couldn't figure that out. I was like, what is going on? And I finally was like, you know what? I need, I need to call my therapist. Like I need to set something's going on. And I'm so glad that I did. I was actually diagnosed with PTSD trauma from my childhood. And a lot of that stemmed from fear of abandonment. And so that made sense. It was like, oh, well, my PTSD was kicking in thinking that these things were actually happening and there's no reality to add it at all. And I don't know if any of your listeners suffer from PTSD, but if they do, this is one of the things that happens is your mind actually thinks that thing is happening. So when I wake up, you know, when I was waking up crying, I was literally feeling the sensations of what that would be like if my husband was to leave me. And it was horrible. I mean, if you're married and you love your spouse, you do not want that to happen. And so I had to realize, like, I need to work on this. So I do. I meditate every single day, which helps me with negative thought patterns, which sort of segued in nicely right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. You mentioned that with PTSD, but in reality, right, with everything, our minds don't know the difference between what's real and what's not. If you really envision something in your mind and you use it and you really feel about it, your body doesn't know that you're not really experiencing it because your mind is that powerful. And Mm -hmm. so on the flip side of that, that's how we manifest things in real life because your mind is so powerful that your body doesn't know the difference. So if you keep envisioning that, the energy you're sending out there is going to manifest the things that you want. And that's how I've personally turned my whole life around on multiple occasions. It's about really just, you know, they say fake it till you make it. I I say believe it till you make it as opposed to faking it. If you have to fake it to believe it, then that's fine. (laughs) But you got to believe it, right? If you you think it and feel it and believe it, you will achieve it. And I'm sorry to sound like a, a silly bumper sticker, but it's true. At the end of the day, you can really achieve anything you set your mind to. And the reason why that that's that statement exists is because that's how powerful our mind is. And so I just think it's so amazing that when it goes in the wrong direction, because using your mind for those positive manifestations, those positive things that you want to change in your life, that's wonderful. That's that's using it for what it, what it's meant for. But when it starts to use you, 
right? Again, going back to meditation so that your thoughts don't control you. When your mind starts to use you, that's when we go down that weird, slippery path of despair and and all of that nonsense that I just want everyone who's listening to understand that no matter what you think right now, you're worthy. No matter what you think, you're worth it. No matter what you think, you deserve happiness. Every single person deserves to be happy. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. If you are sorry for something you've done, then you should say so, and you deserve to be forgiven. If you have never experienced a good thing in your life, well, you, you deserve so much good. And I, and I don't care who's listening right now as far as that goes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You deserve to be happy. Every single human being does. And I, mm-hmm. I will stand by that statement, period. I, I think that the only reason that people do bad things is because they're hurting themselves. They are hurting and they they don't know how to fix it. So mm-hmm. before we wrap up, I just want to know for all my listeners, what would be one thing that you could give them today that they can use themselves live in hands? Now, I, I, I know that we kind of, covered a bunch of things and meditation is definitely at the top of the list. But if there was one, I don't want to call it a tip or a trick or anything like that, but one one idea that you would give today for my listeners to help them live enhanced, what would that be? So, yeah, it's hard to pick just one sometimes. So I'm trying to kind of go through my mind here and think, think of like one thing. I know we did talk about, you know, breaking negative thought patterns. And I think, you know, you just touched on something that's really important, which is that everybody deserves to live the life that they feel like they deserve. And sometimes that is where our, our mindset is huge. And if you don't feel like you deserve that, then, then that's where we need to start. And so mindset, this is what I say to everybody who comes into life coaching is the first thing we work on is mindset. What do you think that you're worthy of? What do you think that you are? And and if it's not up here, let's work on that because that is important. And so sometimes what ends up happening is we end up living in a pattern of survival instead of living. So a lot of us have learned how to survive. And so we get stuck in that, like what you just mentioned is that flight or fight response. We just, we know what to do and then your brain gets stuck and you're, you're there. And so how do you break that? And I, so this would be something kind of quick that I think we could do, which would be, it's six steps, which seems like, oh my God, six steps, that sounds horrible. But I'm telling you, this actually works. Whereas when you're having that negative thought, you know, and I'll just use myself as the example, if I'm thinking, oh my God, my husband's going to leave me. I have to think, what, what am I feeling? What is that that I'm feeling? Okay, I'm feeling that my husband might leave me. Where am I feeling it? So this brings in meditation. It also brings in mindfulness, which is the whole idea of mindfulness. I'm sure most of you know who are listening to this, but it's it's releasing everything and not being judgeful of what's happening in the moment. So we're, we're, we're sort of meditating and being mindful in the same moment of where am I feeling this in my body? And usually for me, it's either in my stomach or my throat chakra. So I usually get tight in my throat, which is why you kind of quiver when you, you're emotional. And then you would say, what if this feeling could say something, what would it say? And a lot of this is journal writing. So sometimes if you're into journal writing, this is great. You can actually do this in a meditation if you want. Or sometimes you just think it. Like sometimes for me, I just sit back and I think it. I don't have to do anything fancy with it. It's just, what would it say? And it's usually like, I'm scared. I don't want to be alone again. I don't want to have to go through a divorce. You know, I, I just let it out. So I let it go. And the thing that I think that really shifts everything, and this is the one question that I would tell everybody to really 
ask themselves always. And it takes you out of the victim mentality, which is instead of like, why is this happening to me? Oh, everything bad happens to me. It's what is this trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. What is this teaching me right now in this moment? What is this really trying to teach me? And a lot of times for me in this moment is what it's trying to teach me is that I actually need to be stronger. I need to take care of myself. I need to re- recognize my worth. What, so what does that mean? That means I need to do more meditation. So it actually is teaching me something in that moment. And so then you think, well, okay, what do I need right now? What, if I could make the smallest step, I always say, take the smallest step that you'd be embarrassed not to take. Like you would tell someone, I can't believe I didn't take that step. Like the one that you don't, you'd feel a little bit from. And so maybe right in that moment, I just need to like have a glass of water and take a five minute break. Maybe it's something super simple. Maybe I need to do one minute meditation. Maybe I need to go for a walk or, you know, take my shoes off and go walk around the grass or something like that. And then, you know, how do I do that? How can I do that right now? And just make that happen in that moment. And then what happens is it breaks that pattern in your brain and it takes you out of that negative ruminating thought that will just sometimes stay with you and stay with you all day, breaks it and sort of changes the direction, which is wonderful. So that would be my sort of a quick six tip. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that. That's so, so, so useful. I think that we tend to spiral out a lot. A lot of people do especially now with everything that's going on in the world. And so I just think that's so valuable. Michelle, thank you so much for being here with us today. Tell me real quick for all of my listeners, where can they find you? They can find me. Okay, so there's a few places that you mentioned earlier. The Empath Support Group on Facebook is a great place to start if you're an empath. And, you know, that's free. You just go there and show up and you get little tips and tricks for the day and people comment. It definitely is a community. You're in the group. So, you know, people join in. It's very active but it's not overwhelming. It is a private group. So I do make sure everyone's kind of together there before, you know, we move forward. You can also reach me cloud nine life coaching. That's my life coaching group. It's cloud nine, the number nine. So that's cloud nine life coaching or Michelle at cloud nine life coaching.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michelle. This has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And if anyone is curious about any of it, what I'm curious about any of it, just, just go visit the group. (laughs) You know, I think that's, I think that's a great place to start because you can find out if you are really an empath, but I would suppose that people know, like, you, you know, at this point, if you're, if you're listening and you've been thinking about it, you're like, oh my God, that's me. Definitely join the group. If you've learned something today, wonderful. Again, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. It's been such a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.